Exactly. So it was actually, it's funny. One of my board members who is a dear friend and who does not live in a tiny house, he was the one who pointed out to me that actually it would be both more on mission, more on brand and more financially feasible to have a school where the artists work and then have artistically built tiny house hotel rooms as the hotel part which is kind of what we thought all along. I mean, my tiny house was built as our prototype hotel room to demonstrate what it's like to be in a space where everything around you is handmade. Nice. Well, I still think it's a really wonderful vision and I I can't wait to see it come to fruition. (laughs) You and me both. Thank you. I, uh, I look forward to the opportunity to be able to host you at the Community Art Tiny House Hotel. Just give me a couple more years. Likewise. All right. That sounds great. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 80 with Miranda Ashlane. Miranda is actually a repeat guest on the podcast. She was one of the first guests that I had when I launched back in March of 2018. Miranda is the organizer of the Big Mass Tiny House Festival, and in addition to that, she is also in the process of creating a shared art space that is going to include tiny houses in one way or another. Miranda is a real go-getter in the tiny house space, and I'm really excited to have her back on the show to talk about what's been happening with her community art project since we last spoke, and also give a little preview of the Big Mass Tiny House Festival, which I will be appearing at leading a live episode of the show. So give this episode a listen. I hope you enjoy, and I hope to see you at the fest. But before we get started, if you have questions that you'd like me to answer live on the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast, I've opened a new way for you to submit them. You can now record a question to be answered on the show. To submit your question, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash ask and hit the appropriate button. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash ask, where you can record a question for me to answer on the show. I love hearing from listeners, and I can't wait to answer your tiny house questions, whether it's building, living, or anything related to the tiny house lifestyle. Everything is fair game. Head over to thetinyhouse.net slash ask to submit your question today. All right, I am here with Miranda Ashleen. Miranda is an artist, entrepreneur, and community organizer. She built her home, Aubergine, as a public art project from June 2015 to July 2016. She is founder of Miranda's Hearth and the organizer of the annual Big Massachusetts Tiny House Festival, now in its fifth year. Miranda Ashleen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And we should say that this is actually your a, a repeat uh, appearance for you on the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast. It is. I'm I'm honored to be back. I think I was what number three or four pretty early on. Yeah, you were actually episode number five. But uh, I think when we when we talked, um, I don't remember when it quite was, but 
I was on the fence about whether I wanted to do a podcast or not, and you were very encouraging. So I credit you <laughs> with being one of the people who encouraged me to go for it. Oh, well, good. I'm always happy to have new people making fun new things that I can just participate in. Awesome. Well, um, so you've been living tiny for about, oh, no, over three years now, right? Yeah, August 1st was my three-year mark, which means I actually officially have made back all of the money I invested into my house. That's fantastic. So three years was kind of your your payback? Yeah, just doing the math on what I was paying rent before I built my house and then the money I put in, it was it was pretty much exactly three years and I would make back my money. That's fantastic. I'm curious, maybe you could share something that was really surprising that has been really surprising about living tiny or something that's been really challenging about living tiny? Um, honestly, I think the most challenging thing about specifically living tiny is really being a homeowner and my friends and my family, whenever they hear me kind of banging my head against the wall because a part of my water heater froze or there's a mouse in my roof line or whatever it is, they constantly have to remind me that this is just homeownership. And so owning a tiny house is the first time I've ever owned my own home. And that was really the biggest shift, moving from renting to owning and knowing that I am responsible for fixing every single little thing that breaks, especially because I built the house myself. So there's nobody to call <laughs> except myself. So I'm, I'm assuming those are all things that have happened, mouse in your roof line included? Yes. Yes. I was parked really close to a tree my first three winters. And uh, I believe it was the first winter I realized that somebody, some little friend had decided that my spray foam insulation would be a very good dinner or entryway. So I had to deal with that one running through. And I didn't notice at first because I didn't hear it. So it was just when I went back into my storage loft and mouse dropping little bits of insulation i was like okay i have not been the only person living in this house well only living there. so how did you deal with it so i had to go back and figure out where it was coming in from uh, so you know the good thing about tiny houses is because they're up off the ground and at least for mine i have that metal flashing underneath the trailer it's it was pretty easy to find the entry point right. rather than thinking about some old foundational house where they could be getting in anywhere so I looked at the tree, I found the entry point, I filled it in with more spray foam, and it had just been a part, you know, like I said, I built the house myself. So part of my um, eave, my roof eave hadn't connected, and so I got a piece of metal flashing to cover the hole, filled it in, and crossed my fingers. And so far, I don't think it's come back, so we're, we're doing okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, I, you know, I had similar issues. And after I went around and, and patched every little nook and cranny I could think of, um, I haven't had, knock on wood, any, any mice, any mouse in the house issues um, yes. for over a year. And this is the time of year we're, we're talking in mid-September. And this is the time of year. As soon as it starts getting a little chilly at night, they're like, oh, I better find a, a sweet tiny house to live in. Yes. Yeah. Well, thankfully this year, I think I'm protected because about five months ago, I got a cat. So I'm hoping that she will be my, my new anti-mouse system. Oh, I'm sure she will. What's her name? <laughs> her name is Moira. Moira. I like that. Thank you. 
So I'm curious if you've seen or or observed any changes in the overall tiny house movement since since you've been a part of this now for several years and you're also engaging with the tiny house movement both as a dweller and as, you know, the organizer of an event. Yeah, I'm actually really encouraged. I first found tiny houses almost exactly 6 years ago in November of 2013. Um you know, I read some internet article and at that point they were just kind of starting to get the airwaves. And it was definitely this eccentric people choosing a strange lifestyle was really the narrative. And people were getting starting to get a lot of buzz about it, but it was still just that curve, you know, I think of the bell curve of any social uh-huh. movement or business growth. And it was the very beginning of that bell curve still. Um, And I really feel like since then, we're starting to enter the point where people are actually hearing about it. People who don't want to live in them are starting to talk about how there's still a really interesting opportunity. And I think that's been a really positive shift. People seeing, you know, oh, my aging parent doesn't have a place to go. I can't afford senior living. It's not safe for them to be home anymore it actually could be possible for me to do this or my millennial children have, you know, are burdened by student loan debt and are trying to figure out their next step and they can't afford a house in their own neighborhood. So what if we had a tiny house for them? And whether it's tiny houses or in-law apartments, I read some article about how um, real estate in California in particular, one of the most high demand elements to add right now is in-law apartments, whether that's for, actual in-laws, children, Airbnb, family, rental. But this language is really starting to become more accepted. And I feel nothing but optimism about the changes that are happening in places like the state of Washington, in places, there are a couple places in California that are actually trying to problem solve how we make this an accessible option for a wide variety of people. Yeah, absolutely. What are the current laws in Massachusetts relating to tiny homes? So I steal, I think it's Lisa Menard's phrase that uh, they are still pre-legal, uh-huh. which is that, you know, nobody, uh, you know how local zoning is. So some towns are more open to things like accessory dwelling units, uh, and some down- towns are really closed. Massachusetts in particular, I think almost all of the RV parks even are only three season because our winters get so intense. Um, So I've lived in Massachusetts for three years now, and I've done it in a variety of different ways. I've never had an issue. Uh, And there are towns that are starting to talk about it. I know the town of Acton, eastern Massachusetts near where I live, just had a town meeting about accessory dwelling units. I think the town of Granby is talking about them. So I'm optimistic. Uh, I know that Governor Baker, uh, I believe he's going to sign the Appendix Q document on January 2020. So fingers crossed that that actually goes through this year and the conversation continues to move ahead. That's fantastic. And are you involved at all with that process? Like, do you have any like politicians attending the festival or anything like that? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> for the first time this year, I'm, you know, I haven't, I haven't dived 
specifically into the advocacy world. I kind of knew the fact that I organize a festival that thousands of people come to as my advocacy because it's about normalizing this concept and helping people see this isn't scary. This isn't going to change your neighborhood. This is really just people just like you who are trying to come up with creative solutions for their life. Right. So that's my main advocacy. Uh, but this year, because of the movement that's happening, because there's a growing conversation in Massachusetts about the housing crisis and the lack of housing supply um, and the national conversation where we can say, hey, look at the state of Washington, look at these other areas and how they've done it. Uh, we decided this year, and I'm going to announce this actually at the end of the week, that any member of a planning board or zoning board or mayor's office is welcome to come to the festival for free. Nice. Um, and I'm hoping that anybody around Massachusetts, and that extends outside of Massachusetts as well. I mean, anybody who's close enough that they'll drive, they would be welcome. So that people in their towns who are trying to go to the zoning board and the planning board and say, hey, I really want this to be an opportunity here. And the people who understandably on the other side of that conversation don't don't really know what they're talking about, don't know what it means or what it looks like. Hopefully they can come to the festival um, and see one-on-one what it actually is and how they can make it work in their own areas. Yeah, that's that's a really that's a great offer. I hope people take you up on it and, and come and really get an exposure to both tiny houses and the people who want to live in the tiny houses. Thanks. I hope so too. So you know, feel free to let everyone know that we want the zoning people there. We want them to start to know that this is not, this is not going to shake up their whole town. This is just another, another good option for good. Yeah. Well, I feel like we should talk about the, the fest. So this is its fifth year now. It is. Yeah. I can't believe that happened. (laughs) Did was it the kind of thing where you were like, nobody's doing a tiny house festival near me, so I'll do it? I was actually kind of um, roped into it, like <laughs> a lot of the really wonderful things that have happened in my life. Um, back in 2014, when I was first entering the tiny house world, the first question I had, like so many people, is uh, where am I going to build it? And I was living in Medford at the time, Massachusetts, which is a little bit north of Boston. And I was really hoping I could find a place in Somerville because that's where most of my business is based. That's where a lot of programming that I do happen. And so I set up a meeting on the same day with Somerville Arts Council and Somerville Zoning Board. Because as an artist, I figured one of those ways might be able to help me out. Um, And I was really, I was really surprised by the fact that both of them were quite open. Even the zoning board was like, you know, we'd like to work with you and figure out, especially because I was framing it as a, building project right in a public Mm -hmm. art project uh which was my little my little workaround so (laughs) i didn't end up finding a place to build my house out of either of those but the somerville arts council has an annual festival program they're always trying to get new people to host festivals so when i came to ask them about whether i could build a house with them somewhere in somerville they said well we don't know about that but we do have this grant and you can work with someone from the arts council to run a tiny house festival. So without ever actually stepping foot inside a tiny house or having ever hosted a festival, I agreed to host the first annual Massachusetts tiny house festival. Wow. Well, I I think it was a happy, a happy accident then. It was, it was, uh, I mean, the first year, less people who came, 
Uh, I had three tiny houses lined up and two of them canceled the week of the event. So we threw the first Massachusetts Tiny House Festival with one half-finished tiny house and it had a two and a half hour line. So I still hear about that sometimes. Um, but for the most part, I think since then we've really grown. We had about six houses at the second one, 10 houses at the third one. Last year, we had up to about 30 different structures, including about seven or eight houses. And then what's been exciting for me coming at it from such a specific tiny house angle is all the other people who want to come. I mean, we've got school buses and vans and Bardo wagons and box trucks. That I think it's really grown past that original intent. Nice. So, uh, where where is the tiny where is the festival this year? Um, when is it? What's it all about? <laughs> so this year we've done it. We've done a different city every single year. This year we're up in Beverly, Massachusetts, which is where my nonprofit Miranda's Heart just put in a bid to repurpose a a school as a community art center. So we're really hoping that my work in community art and my work in the tiny house field come together to help create this really fun event and drive the conversation about what it means to live a creative life, what it means to live a slightly different way, um, and to open the doors for people to experience that and not just have a hypothetical. So this year, I'm really excited. Continuing that arts theme, we're going to be at the North Shore Music Theater which is a beautiful, I think it's a 1,500-seat theater in the round, uh, and we're going to take over their parking lot. So we'll have parking on site uh, for guests, but then we'll have all of our structures. Right now we're looking at between 25 and 30 different structures um, that will come up, set up their houses, be open for tours. We'll have a series of panels, including the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast, which I'm pretty excited about. And also experts from all over the area talking about downsizing, repurposing, building their houses themselves, um, and really just giving an inside look into the tiny house lifestyle and tiny house. Nice. So it's going to be October 19th and 20th it's in about a month. I realized I forgot to say that. That's important. <laughs> Yes. Yep. So it's 10 to 6, October 19th and 20th in Beverly, Massachusetts. Great. Yeah. And I am going to be there and I'm planning to lead a live podcast, actually. So mm -hmm. if, if you're in the Boston area and you want to, well, first of all, see 20 to 30 tiny house structures, but also want to see a live, a live taping of the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast, this is where it'll be. Yeah. I'm so. I'm really excited by that and by being able to pull in all of these different pieces of tiny house world that have grown through people like yourself. Yeah, me too. I think uh, it's going to be really fun as long as, as long as we can get the tech stuff figured out, which I'm sure we will. I'm sure you will. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, <laughs> I'm sure I will. As it, we figure out how to connect me to this podcast. <laughs> it, it gives me, it, it actually brings me comfort to know that it's at a music venue. And so I'm, I'm. Yes hoping that I will maybe have access to some of those people. Yeah, we've got some good folks coming out. I'm actually two, we have two stages. So we'll have the speaker stage, which you'll be on, which will be the Tiny Traveling Theater with Jesse and Nora. Awesome. Um, I know. I'm, I love that house. I'm so excited that we're going to be able to host with them again. And then we have this new guy, Nathan McNiff, just built the Wandering Stage 
which is not a tiny house per se, but it's a creative tiny business. And so he built a stage where it includes a green room, uh, the light, the sound, the pull-out stage, and awning, and all of that comes in. I think it's an eight by twenty trailer, uh, which he's bringing to festivals. So we thought that would be perfect for our music stage, and we'll have live music happening from. That's really cool. So who should come to this festival? Like people who are maybe just curious, people who are like really serious about tiny houses. Like is there, is there a audience in mind or is it just anyone who's interested? We run the gambit. So for people who are interested in building tiny houses, they'll definitely get a lot of information, whether it's from the builders who are coming um, Willoughby Tiny Homes is going to come down and then I'm really excited by a new company that I connected with called Roundhouse Company and they build um, boxcar and caboose shaped tiny houses so they're going to bring two of those so whether it's people who are interested in purchasing from companies if they're interested in building it themselves they can talk to myself to you to Shorty Robbins and Nawaka for a tiny house that's going to come up to Jesse and Nora um if it's people who are not necessarily interested in living tiny per se, but really want to reduce their footprint and are mm-hmm. coming at it from the environmental point of view, we've got Alex Eves with the reuse box truck. Um, and then, you know, we can highlight some of the other speakers in your panel because you're going to focus in on that specifically, right? On reused and repurposed materials and build. Yeah, exactly. I just looking at the lineup, there there were so many people that I know who have done really creative things with repurposed materials, whether it's Alex's box truck with, you know, all repurposed materials or Shorty's tiny house with the, with the piano bed and, and, yes. you know, et cetera. Yeah. So I'm always envious of you guys. I, I chose time over the reuse because I think one of the things I learned looking into it is reuse is a wonderful option, but it can really tick up your time commitment. So it's always that time versus money choice. Yeah. And I built my house in a year and then I hosted a festival. So it had to be done. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was the same way. I didn't, I, the only thing I used that was repurposed in my house was a, with a kitchen sink, but I also oh, nice. chose time over, yeah. over repurpose. I was thrilled. My, my one like plug into the, into the repurposed world was my dining room table. So that whole piece of furniture, it actually folds out of the wall. It's a four foot by five foot table, maybe something like that. Uh-huh. Um, and then two glass doors fold in front of it and the benches fold out of the door. And that whole unit is about 80 years old. And when I was building my tiny house as a public art project um, on the front lawn of the Umbrella Community Art Center in Concord, Massachusetts, one of the founding board members of the art center it had founded about 35 years previously walked by and told me he had this in the basement and that he would love it to be in my tiny house. Wow. So, yeah, that was that was a pretty special moment for the That's tiny special. house build. That's awesome. Well, I want to learn, I want to hear more about what's been going on with the community art space and, you know, this exciting, it sounds really exciting that you're putting in a bid on, a, on an old school. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of took over my entire summer. I've been I've been looking at this beautiful building. It's called the Briscoe School in Beverly for two years now, uh, since it was actually functioning as a school. And in that time period, the city of Beverly built a new 
middle school and moved all the students there. And now okay. this beautiful building is empty. They put out what's called a request for proposals that emphasize community engagement, historic preservation, and public access to the building and the land. And so we, my nonprofit, Miranda's Heart, put together a bid in which we would repurpose the building. And we looked originally at my concept for the community art hotel, which would be a functioning hotel where everything around you is handmade by local artists who also have studios in the same building. But unfortunately, it would cost about $45 million to turn that school (laughs) into a community art hotel. Oh, boy. Um, So I always, you know, when I realized that, the question was, do we not go for this beautiful building in this perfect community that's really rich with arts? The Cabot Theater is there. Montserrat College of Art is there. The Marshall Music Theater is there. It's 40 minutes north of Boston. It's five commuter rail stops. You know, it's really perfect for what we want to do. Um, so we pivoted and we decided that for phase two of our business, we would focus in specifically on the artist studio spaces. So our proposal uh, includes affordable creative workspace for artists, creative entrepreneurs, nonprofit community centers uh, for up to 150 to 200 different organizations or people. And then it would also have rental space and educational space for the community to come in and interact with those people. So that's what we're trying. Well, that's fantastic. When when will you find out whether you whether you got it? There is absolutely no timeline, which is really fun. So the city of Beverly is currently reviewing. It could be in a couple weeks, it could be in a couple months. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll hear something by the end of the year. And then we keep moving forward, whether it's with this school or I'm already looking at some other cities in the area. So even if we don't get this building because of the baby boomers and the change in education right now, there are actually a surprising amount of surplus school buildings spread throughout the area. And those are really ideal to repurpose as art centers because you can continue their original educational purpose, but focus in on the arts so that. you don't have to really shift up the building much. So we've looked at some other cities in the area and are hopeful that we'll be able to find a building somewhere on the North Shore of Massachusetts, even if we don't get this one. That's great. Yeah, it seems like it would be a lot harder to turn an old school into a hotel just because of all the infrastructure that would need to get added. Exactly. So it was actually, it's funny, one of my board members who is a dear friend and who does not live in a tiny house, he was the one who pointed out to me that actually it would be both more on mission, more on brand, and more financially feasible to have a school where the artists work and then have artistically built tiny house hotel rooms as the hotel part which is kind of what we thought all along. I mean, my tiny house was built as our prototype hotel room to demonstrate what it's like to be in a space where everything around you is handmade. Nice. Well, I still think it's a really wonderful vision and I I can't wait to see it come to fruition. (laughs) You and me both. Thank you. I, uh, I look forward to the opportunity to be able to host you at the Community Art Tiny House Hotel. Just give me a couple more years. Likewise. All right. That sounds great. So where can people go to learn more about the festival and get tickets and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So we actually made a website specifically for the Tiny House Festival this year. It's 
tinyhousefestival.com. Okay. And tickets are available there as well as by the end of this week, we'll have a list of speakers and musicians. We also, which I haven't mentioned, I'm really excited because we have three different public art projects happening this year. So Mike Grimaldi, he's a local muralist who lives in Salem, Massachusetts. He's, he's actually going to do a mural on my tiny house during the tiny house festival. Wow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty, it took a little while for me to be open to that idea. I, I, in my own common way, I floated it and I was like, this would be cool. And Mike said, I could do that. And I was like, oh, wait, I just said I would let someone paint on my house. Oh, wait, I don't know if I want to do that, but he's amazing. So I'm sure it's going to look great, even if it'll be a little, a little facelift for Aubergine three years in. Right. I mean, you could always paint over it if you, if you hated it, right? I can't, but I'm sure I won't. He's, he's so talented. And um, yeah, so we've got, we've got our, our website. We've also got a Facebook event where I put most of the updates day to day in the Facebook event. And then we have an email list where I send out kind of more in-depth updates. So people can sign up for that either on the tiny house website, or they can find more about my business at mirandashearth.com. Great. Well, I will also post these links on the show notes page. Um, Miranda Ashley, thank you so much for, for updating us and being a, a returning guest on the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you and hopefully lots of your listeners in October. You can find the show notes for today's episode at thetinyhouse.net slash 080. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 080. Thank you so much to Miranda Ashley for being a guest on the show. And a quick announcement before we go. If you live in the Northeast and you'd like to come see me speak live, you have two opportunities in the next couple of weeks. The first is the Big Mass Tiny House Festival, which is taking place in Beverly, Massachusetts, October 19th and 20th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. I'll be there on the 20th and will be leading a live podcast roundtable discussion about building a tiny house from salvaged materials. And the following weekend on October 27th, I'll be at Tiny House Fest Vermont in Warren, Vermont, also leading a live podcast discussion about what the future of the tiny house movement will be. These festivals are a great opportunity to tour tiny houses, to meet people who live in tiny houses, and to learn about the lifestyle from the legality to financing to building and everything in between. These are a great opportunity for you to learn more about tiny houses and the movement. So again, those two events are the fifth annual Big Massachusetts Tiny House Festival, October 19th and 20th in Beverly, Massachusetts, and Tiny House Fest Vermont, October 27th in Warren, Vermont. There are links to both of these events on the show notes page for this episode at thetinyhouse.net slash 080. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 080. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.